Hello, and welcome to another episode of Gaming Couch, where we sit back and talk about video games, board games, card games, and the like. So pull up a chair, put your feet up, let's have a good time. Hello, hello. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm going to try to prevent doing that a lot. But uh, yeah, after this crazy weekend of going all over the place, and then uh, yesterday... I ran into a really old friend of mine from college I haven't seen in years, so we went out, uh, met some of his friends, drank and talked and having a good time. So my voice, as you could already tell, is a bit off. Uh, so uh, we're going to push through. We're still going to do this because I owe you, everybody, a part two for this expo, and I really enjoyed it, and I want to have a time to talk about the games. So <clears throat> I apologize about my voice. I will try my best to speak clearly and everything about stuff. And if it sounds really, really terrible, I will redo it uh, later. At a later date when my voice is better. So let's just start start the episode and see what happens. So Play NYC. As I said, uh, part one back on Saturday. It was amazing. It was big. It was loud. It was fun, like, it was just a great time. You know, you see events for, like, PAX East and stuff like that. It felt like one of those events where it's just booths upon booths upon booths, and you're just, like, navigating through all these halls and everything between them. And I loved it. And they actually had a really smart layout where all, like, the videos of that were kind of around it. And then dead center is where they set up the car games and board games and stuff like that, which I found was well done. Because if you're going to play a car game or a board game, you need people. You need multiple people for that. Obviously, the guy that's running it needs to be able to walk around. You able to have tables to lay all your stuff out. So they were really smart in where they put those games kind of centered. Made it a lot easier to watch them and join in and talk to the devs and stuff like that. Now, real quick, like, a shout-out. I saw a number of devs and games there from previous expos, like Playcrafting Expos and Game Difficult and stuff like that. Like, I saw Super Space Club again. It was awesome to see that. I saw Team Einharja. I can't pronounce that. But the guys who made Fiction Sphere I talked about from the Game Difficult Color Expo. They showed up again, which is amazing. I got to see Jimmy, the guy who made Hero Tales from the Tomes, was there again, showing off his game, which was amazing. Uh, the Last Hex from that indie studio. Got to see them there again having their really close to release build ready and demoing. And they actually had four monitors set up where last year they only got one. So as I'm saying, it got bigger and devs were allowed to show off much more. So that was just awesome. I also saw a game, I don't think I've ever talked about it, called Antipole DX from Saturn Games. And it is a side-scrolling shooter game. Okay has the look of a older retro style game not fully pixelated but probably like the 64-bit kind of sega and 64 playstation style era what's awesome though is you shoot you have health however you control gravity in a sense of this area around you so there'll be this circular area around you and hit the button that will reverse gravity so both you and anything inside that circle will then flip and it'll go up instead of down. But you only do that for a limited amount of time. So you can, like, flick the trigger, almost like you're firing, like, in a first-person shooter, 
like semi-automatic where you just have to keep hitting the trigger so you can just turn it on and off, on and off, on and off constantly to almost like wobble through the air if you're quick enough. Or you can just hold it for a constant stream of reverse gravity, but it does run out. So you have to use that to like solve puzzles. Some enemies are affected by it. Some aren't. Like there was this one enemy in the demo that I ran up to that had this blue outline and he was on the ceiling. So I had to reverse gravity to get up to him so I could shoot him because you can't aim up or down. You actually have to, if you want to shoot something, you either got to jump or reverse gravity to get up to them. So even though he was inside the bubble for reverse gravity, he didn't move. Like he stayed on the ceiling. But then there were these later enemies I ran into that just kind of hopped and shot at me. If they were within my bubble, they were flipped and reverse gravity affected them, which I like it. Like it takes a simple concept, you know, a side scrolling shooter and adds in a little extra mechanic there that is pretty intuitive. Like the first boss that I faced, which only had the one level with the one boss in the demo, I walked him through him and there was a gear like enemy on the top and the bottom. So one along the ceiling and one along the bottom. Now, the gear was covered in this thick metal shell. No matter how many times I shot the damn thing, I couldn't hurt it. Like, my bullets just bounced off of it and dissipated. All right, nothing was happening. So the bottom gear thing is just moving back and forth with spikes on it. I just had to jump over it. The one on top would occasionally, like, shoot laser beams down at me. Now, the one on top, on the ceiling, anti-gravity did not affect it. I couldn't flip him using my bubble. However, the gear on the bottom, I could i could hit the button and make him go up to the ceiling he didn't flip upside down though like his his spike like his metal case the spikes stayed on top so at first i thought okay maybe i need to throw him up and then shoot at him but that wasn't working because i would raise at the same rate he did so i couldn't get underneath him and i died like two or three times i'm sitting there and trying a couple different things i'm like wait a minute hold up hold up hold up i noticed the top half of the boss Occasionally, like usually after he shot, he would open up his metal case and there'd like be this red eye showing, like where the laser was shooting from. But it just opened, it didn't do anything. I was like, wait a minute. Crazy idea. Because you know those old style games of bosses always did something to reveal a weak point. So what I did is it waiting for it to line up, I would then hit the button, take that spiky shell on the bottom that I could flip up to the ceiling, brought him up to the ceiling, and hit the other half while it's plate was open showing that red light and wouldn't you know it deal damage i love that concept i love the concept of yes i have a gun i have a weapon it's useless though like defeating the boss came down to manipulating gravity that was your weapon this very simple mechanic of just flipping yourself that's what you need to do i thought that was a great idea i thought it was very smart and well made so I told the dev that I was like, that was actually awesome. Like I loved that first boss. Considering that is the first boss of the game, when you're learning the mechanic, you're learning how to use anti-gravity. And then the boss is just straight up, that's all you have to do. You don't have to shoot nothing. All you gotta do is time your jumps, time your dodge. Like it was that was only the two attacks. It was jump over the spike guy who occasionally would speed up. And when you see the top guy shoot the two diagonal laser balls, just make sure you're between them. That's it. it. It didn't ask much of you. It just asked you to master the timing of your anti-grab. And then after defeating the boss, the power-up said, hey, by the way, now you can do it for longer. It increased that energy bar. And then the demo ended. I was like, awesome. You know, I, I played it at a Playcraft event during the school year. And they didn't have that boss in yet. 
it, I, it was just like a basic level. And now the demo I was playing, the level was longer, the level was slightly different, and the boss is there. So I loved that. I was like, cool, awesome. This is some good stuff. So I'm glad to see them again. I'm glad like things developed further for them. Uh, moving on, I got like, no joke, just a bunch of cards and pamphlets like that just lying on my desk in front of me. We're just going to keep going. Uh, one that actually, I, a game that I sadly did not be able to collect a card from, because I got to play them at the very end of the weekend, at the end of the expo, was Steel Assault. Now, this game, when I say that Antipole DX is, looks kind of like those retro games, Steel Assault is 100% those retro games. If you ever play something like Rocket Knight Adventures, Contra, or any other sort of like side-scrolling game on the Genesis, that's what it looks like. Like I, That includes like Double Dragon and Battletoads and stuff like that. That's what the game looks like. So when I saw it, I knew immediately right away that I was going to love it because that was like my first real experience with the games was the Sega Genesis and I really enjoyed those games. Rock and Avenge is still like top for me uh, in favorite games. So I eventually got a chance to walk over and play it and the demo had three levels. A tutorial level, a regular standard level, and then a boss level. Um, pretty, I'm, I'm sure like when the game gets released fully that it'll all be combined because uh, the boss level was essentially the end of the river level I played, uh, but it was yeah, it was separate on the menu, so I'm assuming it's all combined later down the road. But yeah, so I went to start playing it, and the dev was like, hey, they had like your old, the old joystick with buttons, pretty much what you have like an arcade cabinet, or an Xbox controller. I'm like, I'll just take the controller, I'm used to that. And he went to dump me into the tutorial level, and I was like, nah, see ya, man, I'm not smart. Let's just go straight to the first level, I'll just learn what I'm doing during it. He's like, alright, sure, man, and hop me into the first level. And yeah, sure enough, it played like those old side-scrolling games, like on the Genesis. You're playing in this futuristic guy in this, not a mech suit, but like kind of like a power suit. And the story is you're going through a post-apocalyptic America, like just after a war, a lot of things are like destroyed, burning down, stuff like that. And there was, maybe it was Soviets slash Russians were invading because the boss was wearing this red suit and had this strange name. And a lot of times those apocalyptic set settings, it's, U.S. versus Russia. That's like a standard setup for a lot of these games. So you're just running through these levels and just beating up various enemies that appear on the screen and just get to the end of the level. That's what it is for now. They're coming out. The plan is uh, quarter one of 2020. So we'll see what more they have for the game at that time. Now while you're playing, from what I found out, you have a double jump, standard stuff. You're... Main attack is actually a ranged melee attack. It's like these these whiplashes that you have. If you ever played Mass Effect 3 and those melee Cerberus troops, those biotic troops that would, like, have those two whips they'd lash out of their arms and, like, slash forward, it was kind of like that, just without the shockwave. That was your base melee attack. And then you actually had a really cool grapple hook. So when you press the other button, it would shoot a grapple hook forward and behind you. So you could do it to, like, a grapple left-right or a grapple up-down. The reason why I did that is... If the grapple hit anything to hook onto, the other end would then secure itself to another anchor point. So you'd actually have like a tether that you can climb up and down instead of just like shoot it and then you automatically climb up. It's like now you actually have a pole that you can climb up and down. And then when you reach like the top, the pole recedes. So that became really important. So I'm playing the first level, which is you're in this forest, it's burning down. And the beginning is pretty standard, like jumping on a couple platforms. There were these robotic dog-like things that would shoot two missiles out that I had to dodge and then slash at them. And they're like these kamikaze bots, these like little flying bots that come on screen and then fly down towards me and explode. 
know, some standard early game enemies to fight. Yet the challenge was enjoyable for the fact that I couldn't just shoot at them. As far as I know, there's no shooting. It's all about that slash you have. So having to time the double rockets the dogs would launch to then run underneath them and jump up and slash them or jump around them and then slash the dogs also while watching for those flying bots that were coming in, I enjoyed it. It it felt like a retro game to me that was made back in like the 1990s or 1980s, what have you. So really enjoyable. And as I played through the first level, you're jumping through the treetops and the game actually tells you this little hint and it says, if you stand on a branch up in the trees, it will eventually break and fall and turn into a raft. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And immediately I was greeted with this giant river that I couldn't, I couldn't go in the water. So I had to jump up into the trees and then eventually standing on a branch, I'm like, oh, I get what they're saying. So I stood on the branch, the branch eventually broke and started falling. And I'm like, wait a minute, I can't see what's below me. So I, I panicked, double jumped, continued to fall and I landed on the branch. I'm like, oh, okay, that was their plan. And as soon as I land on a branch, one of those robo dogs just jumps out of the water and hits me. I'm like, crap, it's one of those sections. Like straight up, as soon as I fell in that river and that dog jumped out of the water, I'm like, it is one of those sections when you're. You ever play those old, like, side-scrolling beat-em-up Genesis games? You get to that on-rail section, and you just know it's going to be disgusting because you have a limited space to move, and the enemies are just coming at you, and the camera's still moving. I was like, fuck. Okay, here we go. Like, it was one of those joyful annoyances. Like, I fully expected this to be in this game. And I know what I have to do to get past it. And I, it, it was like that weird thing, you know, like you're happy to see that they have this annoying spot, you know, this annoying aspect of a game from an old retro game in their newer game. Like it really shows they're paying homage to those style of games. So I'm glad it was there. I was like, crap, now I got to do this. Luckily, it wasn't too hard. I got through it fairly easily. I didn't die. And it was rather short. It was a shorter than I expected section, which isn't too bad. And I got into the boss fight. And the boss is pretty fun. Like, you're on this platform flying to the sky, and this is giant robotic worm drill that has rockets on it, so it can, like, fly up to the platform. And it did a really nice thing of, like, foreground and background. When it was in the background, it obviously couldn't hurt you, and it was a darker shade. But as it wrapped around, because it's a worm drill, so it's, like, curling around the platform, when it came forward into the foreground so there would be contact damage and you could actually hit the thing, it would, you know, turn to a brighter color, like it's right in front of you. So I like that idea of just shading just simple use of shading to show where it was in relation to you in terms of like foreground background so as you had to ensure that you weren't there when it appeared but you were close enough that you could whip out and hit the damn thing in the head to damage it and did have a lot of help it it went down pretty quickly it would do a couple twists and then there would be this lock on uh, icon over you and eventually it would get a lock on and then the drill would shoot out towards you had to like bait it essentially maybe you jump up high so the lock on stays locked above you and then you drop down and shoots over you and it would rotate around and come back and it would then instead pop up when it got a lock on and shoot a laser at you and do a couple like waves of lasers so again you had to bait out the laser so you could easily dodge them there might have been more to the fight Uh, i saw some screenshots next to him on a banner that looked like it was like lighting the platform on fire and stuff like that but i never got that far i destroyed the drill fairly quickly the thing was standard two-phase fight as far as i know when the drill was assured you start falling out of the sky like the platform blows up the drill's falling and it starts like the same start blowing up and when the head explodes the drill was that's when the guy controlling it, it was like colonel or whatever breaks out and he had like this jetpack that's on fire and this is where it gets tough you are now free falling all right 
So you can move around the screen easily, but the thing is you can't use your whip. You can only punch, which means you have a lot less range. And now this guy in the jetpack is spewing flames everywhere. So one, he has a flamethrower, so he shoots this very long and somewhat wide streak of flame. And while he's doing that, there's bits of flame that kind of come out. It turns into a bullet hell. There'll be like waves of flames that are exploding from the jetpack, and he adds to that attack. And there's a couple of different patterns you have to start to remember of like, three or four different rings of fire on the screen, and then he lights up the flamethrower trying to dodge all that. And you have then, like, four seconds at one point where he takes a rest. You can run up, you can fly him, like, punch him once, and you got to back up because if he starts to move, you're going to get hit. I tried twice, and I couldn't beat the boss that phase. I could not beat it. I got about halfway through. So there might have been a third phase to it. Well, that might have been the end of the demo. I'm not sure. I tried it twice, and then it was coming to, like, closing time for the expo, so I couldn't keep going. But I, I loved it. Like, I told the dev that. I was like, this felt like that old Sega game. Like, clearly that's where the inspiration came from. And I'm loving it to death. And that first boss is like, it was a first boss. Like, I remember playing Rocket Knight Adventures and taking such a long time to beat the first level because that first boss, that first sub-boss, the pig in the tank, took me so long to figure out how to beat the damn thing. So it felt good. I'm like, it, it brought me back to that mindset. Like, when I was a younger kid... And now I, I really want to get Steel Assault. I really hope it comes out quarter one of 2020. I don't have to wait any longer because I, I want to go again. I want to beat that first boss, and I want to see what more the game has to offer. So yeah, Steel Assault, they currently don't have a studio name. They're just going by Steel Assault, the name of the game. So I'll see if I can like dig up a website or something like that. Again, if I find anything on any of these games online, I'll post stuff in the description so you can... Follow those links, respectively, and check the games out for yourself. Also, most of those games, you know, Steel Salt, Antipole included, I believe, they're pretty much all releasing on Steam and PC. However, a majority of them are also pushing for console releases, like Switch, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, stuff like that. So, we're, we're not going to be limited on how we can play these games, which, you know, it's nice. I like it. I like it. Uh, moving on, there's this one game I played. Next to Steel Assault, I didn't have a name yet. It's kind of like a proof of concept game right now. But the dev on his website, he said you can like download the game for free for now. To kind of like check it out as he works on it. Uh, I will fact check that later. And if it's true, I'll have the link posted below so you can access the game. Now, think Halo. You know, it's a it's a third person or first person, sorry, first person shooter. It's kind of like Halo style. You get two guns, you can rotate the guns out. Like that's at least the dev's plan. We, him and I were talking for a bit. His plan is like, yeah, you, you start with two guns, and then you can switch them out. So, you know, everyone starts with a pistol, and then if you find, like, an assault rifle, you can pick that up. And then you find, let's say, a shotgun. You either got to drop the assault rifle the pistol to pick up the shotgun. Standard stuff. The difference is it's Halo combined with Mirror's Edge. Something the dev admitted was he played Mirror's Edge, and he loved it. And he's like, but what if guns? That was his thought. He's like, what if we had Mirror Edge but with guns? So you were able to parkour off of nearly any surface. So you can like wall run and then jump, or you can like chain wall runs together, things like that. He's yet to code in the specifics for ledge grabs. So at one point I kind of like jumped, I just missed the ledge, but I couldn't grab onto it and I fell, which isn't a big deal. I felt like the parkour running is the more important part right now because that's going to take longer to develop. But it, it's pretty, it's really solid. It's really nice and. Even the animations for the characters, even though they're kind of like blocky models, there's even animation for the characters running along the walls that you can see if you see your opponent running. 
So it's smooth. Like the animation is smooth right now. It's really nice. And it looks Tron-like. You know, it's all kind of like grid and blocky and like bright neon colors for the environment and stuff like that. And the guns have like this, these bright orange lines on them. So honestly, I hope he keeps that that look. Like maybe change the character models because right now they look like dudes with red t-shirts and jeans on. So I'm pretty sure that'll be changed. But in terms of how the game looks, I really like how it is right now. The aesthetic is really cool with the wall running aspect. So you can run along the walls while shooting your gun at people. So it's not just it's an escape plan. It's like you can actually turn it into a chase where you wall run sh and shoot at the same time. It's a little tough, which makes sense. I mean, you're trying to run along a wall and keep that balance while shooting gun at the same time. It's not going to be easy. But I enjoyed it. I kind of sucked at it a bit. I was playing against a kid who I played a bit from Sandy with. And he was, he was beating me, which, you know, it's whatever. I was having fun regardless. It reminded me of Halo, and I liked the, the wall-runningness of it. So it's a really cool game. Like, it's not that big right now. It's a pretty small concept, but it's there. Like, he had a constant stream of people playing it. Like, he usually had two people playing it at a time because he had it set up where it was 1v1, a player one and a player two. And, yeah, people were liking it, it seemed, and he, just, he was just kind of hanging out. I had a good talk with him. So, again, the game doesn't have a name yet. But the game's programmer, he gave me his card. There's a website on it. I will post. Actually, it's just, uh, yep, there it is. Yep, it's his email and his uh, website. I'll post the website up. You know, check it out. If it's there to be downloaded, I, I honestly say, check it out. It's it's a cool little concept of a game. Alrighty, uh, what's next on my list? I was kind of like looking around to see what I can do, talk about. Uh, oh, this is what I really quickly I want to talk about. I didn't get to play it. Uh, the guy kind of had all the things set up, but wasn't really playing the game because it could. he said it could take like 60 minutes to play, which is fair. It's a board game. If it's like a 60-plus minute board game, you can't really demo that there at the convention. But he had everything available. Like he had the card show. Like he showed what the game would look like while you're playing it. Uh, it's a guy, he said, he worked tech like Apple or something like that. He, he worked tech for a long time, and then he decided to make a game based on smart technology with a twist. It's Lovecraftian smart technology. <laughs> and I walked over at first because I saw what looked like, you know, Cthulhu in a suit. I'm like, okay, what the fuck is this? Let me check this out. So the guy's premise was this. There's always, you know that new wave of smartphones coming out. Like, I think Samsung is doing something at, at this moment. Like, they're releasing a new phone or whatever like that. So technology is always releasing new things, and it's always the next big thing that people want to get, the newest smart tech. So the concept of the game is you're a lonely IT guy who got fired from this company, and around that time, the company is releasing their next big thing, like their next newest smartphone. However, you have your suspicions that the company is actually run by these Lovecraftian horrors. And the purpose of these phones when they release them is to, you know, help open up a portal to some strange world and bring in these older gods to our world and take over. You know, like conspiracy stuff. So it's your job to sneak into the building and eventually crack the security and get into wherever, you know, that tech is, the app is, or whatever it is, and shut it all down before it's too late. So it's kind of you're, you're running against the clock and it's procedurally generated where there's a number of different tiles you have. And obviously, like you need specific tiles like an entrance, the end point, stuff like that. But otherwise, it's random every time you play. You just draw 
a set number of tiles and that's how you make the facility. And then there's very de- various decks of like gear, events, stuff like that. And they're like all the enemies are these corporate suits who are, you know, evil entities in disguise. So you're trying to either dodge the corporate suits or take them down if they run into you, which is really cool. So it has all these nice little things going for it that is in your kind of like stealthy style game, you know, dodge the evil and find the MacGuffin or take them out quickly, you know, you kind of can choose how you're going. And obviously you can build up your gear over time if you find things. And what's really cool, uh, I actually will not begin this game for one reason only. And it's, it's a personal thing. It's nothing against the dev. What he decided to do is because of smart technology, he built it that the clues you're finding that eventually let you crack the security to get into like R R and D or wherever, like the stuff is hidden that you're trying to get to it's QR codes that you scan. So over time, the more clues you find, there's the more QR codes you can scan. And if you collect enough data by scanning it to your phone, it will determine the ending of the game for you. So you're combining the board game with these QR codes and you're scanning on your phone to kind of get these updates to your phone. Like you're actually kind of, it's, it takes it takes the player into the game. Like you're not really sitting on the couch right now. You're actually there in the facility looking at data that you're finding, which excuse me, is a cool concept. I I actually really like it. I don't have a smartphone, though, and I don't know when I'm going to be getting one. So I can't get the game because I need a smartphone to fully enjoy it, and I'm pretty sure I could play, like, two-player with somebody, and, you know, they have their smartphone. Yet, if I can play this game solo, I want to be able to play it solo, and I I need my phone for it. So Techlandia, T-E-C-H-L-A-N-D-I-A. So techlandiagame.com, I'll have the, the link posted. But that's the name of the game, and like I said, this whole concept, this kind of cool corporate Lovecraftian horror thing of technology, it's a, I like it. it. It's a really, it's a cool concept, both in just like, it's Call of Cthulhu kind of, but it's also like this idea of, yeah, this technology, like taking over, you know, moderation. It, it You can make this whole talk about it sending a message to people, which isn't inherently bad in its own. So yeah, Techlandia, keep an eye on it. Seriously, it's it's coming out soon. Uh, if you back the Kickstarter, which the guy has, he has these really awesome, I saw them there, he had them on display. Decent, you know, probably a good, I don't know, six, seven, six, like six inches tall uh, figurines of like Eldrick horrors that he'll give you one, you know, if you back the, the project or something like that online again details will be on the website uh check it out it, it's awesome uh talking about board games actually i want to move on real quick i'm actually holding the game in my hand i bought it there like the guy actually has the game released and was just like with uh hero tales of tomes that jim was doing just getting the word out about his game thing called deck fighters mixed martial arts card game is exactly what it sounds like it is a single deck of cards it's it's actually really cool. It's a 54 game or 54 card game. Like it's a standard deck. It's in a standard deck box. You know, it's right on top of my hand. And the idea is everyone is an MMA fighter and you draw cards in the deck and using those cards, you're just trying to beat the crap out of your opponents and last man standing wins. So everyone gets a health pool. Standard is 20. You can do a fast paced game. That is 10, right? Your choice with the people you're playing with. And it's two to four players. All right. Now, what I like about it, 
is the time is five to 30 minutes. And that is very important. So the game is played and you have multiple ways to win. The big one, like the thing is pretty much be the last man standing. There is actually one way you can win the game that doesn't require eliminating all your opponents, uh, but it requires a specific card to do it because there's a lot of like special cards that there's only one copy of in the deck. So if you get the judge decision card, you can win the game by having the most health, you know, done. And I actually lost the game that way uh, to that card. Otherwise, everything else, there's various ways to take your opponents out. You can submit them. You can TKO them. You can KO them. Stuff like that. Because it's all the cards are based on real moves. Like, there's striking cards, like a jab, uppercut, stuff like that. But then there's like a Mao Chai clench. There's guillotine. There are ground takedowns, leg sweeps. Like, if you're into MMA and you do any sort of MMA fighting, you will recognize some of these moves in the game. Now, with that, you know, the strikes are simple, like a jab. You know, you can just jab somebody at any time. That's real easy. But something like a guillotine, you know, or a, uh, what was it? Like this neck clench thing. Can't remember what it was called. The, the maneuver was called. But these moves that usually require you to have a certain hold on your opponent to execute, like if you're trying to go for like a neck grab, you need to have your arm around their neck already and applying pressure to submit them and knock them out. You need to get in a certain stance to do that. So there are card sequences. Every card, the rules are printed on the card of how to use it. Like, you play this card, like a guillotine. Guillotine, submit opponent. Can only be played after a Mao Chai Chi, a Mao Chai Chi or something like that grab is made on an opponent. And then it also shows how the opponent can get out of it. So if you want to do a certain move, you need to set up that combo. So strikes that just deal damage, you can just do various strikes. But what I did, the first time I played, I sat down... And it's the first turn. The guy before me goes, and then it's my turn. So each player takes a turn doing a maneuver on any opponent they so choose. So the kid next to me goes first, and then it's my turn. I look at the girl across from me, and she's already played. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to do a Mao Chai Chi clench on you. And it can be escaped through a – you can get out of it through, like, an escape or something else. So if you have a card in your hand, like a dodge or escape or something like that that's printed on the – attack card you play it and it breaks a sequence and that's it your turn's over as the fighter because your opponent got out of it which that's one thing i like Like, there are certain counter maneuvers you can do to grabs to get out of it you know if a guy's behind you and yeah like headbutt their nose that'll get rid of the grab or you elbow them in the side that'll back them off so that's shown in the cards so i got her in this hold and i'm like here are the two like it says on the card you need one of these two cards played to get out of it and she said, nope, I don't have those. I'm like, okay. So I have you this clench now, right? It did, no, it did no damage, but I have the setup in the sequence. So to follow up with that on my turn, I play a guillotine. Submit opponent. The opponent is then taken out of the game. And again, it says, I need the Mao Chai Chi clench played first, which I did. So that was my sequence. I played the green first, and now I'm playing the blue guillotine second to take her out. I'm like, do you have an escape card? You know, do you have a card that says escape? That's how you get out of this. She's like, nope. So wait, am I just out of the game? I'm like... Yeah, yeah, it appears so. So before she could even go, like I said, the game can take five minutes. Before she could even play a card and on her turn, she was taken out. Just like that. And then two turns later, that's when the kid next to me played the judge's decision card. And he had the most health and he just said, okay, I win. The game was like, it straight up took like five, six minutes. Just like that. And we started with 20 health and only one person got taken out. 
The rest of us didn't. We just had a judge call it, like, on the card. So I kind of like that. I like that idea of it can be kind of wild because depending on the card you draw can decide how the game goes. Like, on your turn, you can do sort of a mulligan. You can pick up two, three cards to get rid of and then replace them. So there is that option if you really have nothing to work with. But there are certain, like, really good cards. Like, there's one card that prevents a KO. Like, you can stay going in the game. Or there's another one that I used where you play it, you immediately draw three cards, and then any cards that are labeled as a strike, you can just play them. You ignore sequences. You don't have to do any setup for any of them, and they cannot be defended. So you can just go ham on people. So sometimes you want to look for those big cards, but other times, like, both times I played, I had no defense. I didn't draw a single defend card. My opponents were getting them, which made it difficult. Like, yeah, I had a lot of grapples and takeouts that I could do, but if anyone wanted to fuck with me, I'm just sitting there like, go ahead. I, there's nothing I can do. So the game is very dynamic. It can be quick. It could take a while if both opponents get the right cards and play smart with them to do certain setups. And hell, my favorite story, I was talking to the developer, and he's he's done a lot. Like He worked in tech, and then he left tech industries. And when the like iPad was first coming out, he bought a bunch of iPads and set up like an art class of like using art on the iPad because no one knew how to do that. And then he moved on to doing this. Like he's done a lot of cool stuff and this game is like his first thing. And it's really cool. Him and I were talking and he mentioned when he got the first shipment in like the first box full of, you know, decks to sell, he got his family together. He got some friends together. Like, you know, let's, let's play. Like I finally have the game in hand and I want to like see it in action. So they get together to play, to play a couple rounds and he told me this. The first match, they started playing. He dealt the cards out and the game begun. And his niece did exactly what I did to him. She took him out right away. The poor guy didn't even get to play his game when it came in the mail. And that that is just so charming. And it goes to show just the chaos of the game when the developer, the guy who dreamed this game up and put time and money into it to create it, didn't even get to play the first round because he was taken out of the first game ever played by his niece before his turn even came up. And I think that is just hilarious. And it's partially why I just, I bought the game right there on site. Like he had a bunch of decks there. I'm like, I'm just going to buy it right now because this is just awesome. Like, the insanity of this game is just awesome, and I love it, and I love the concept of it, too. I think it's a great concept, and it takes a little bit of time to pick up. Everything's written on the cards, though. Like, straight up, everything is written on the cards. Some of it could be a little clunky, and he was very open to my friend and I. Like, we were talking about some of the cards, and he was like, okay, so, so what about this card? And my friend Justin was like, yeah, it was a little confusing how you said, you know, it's an undefendable strike, but that's not really a card type because the card type says striking on the other cards. He's like, oh, so, you know, if I was to change the change the wording to, you know, all striking cards cannot be defended, would that help? And Justin's like, yeah, that actually sounds right. He's like, you know, I'm going to keep that in mind and, you know, look at a Narada. So he was open to that. I love that, that even though he's selling the game, he's still looking for feedback. He's still looking for ways to improve it and send out erratas to people and be like, here's a cleaned up rule set and things like that. Because again, it happens in games. You know, video games have bugs. You can go through and clean and polish a game and release it, and there'll still be bugs in it. People will still run into glitches and things like that that then have to be patched. You can't patch a card game, you know, or a board game, but what you can do is release an errata. 
I think it was great that he was willing to do that. He's willing to take in that feedback to find ways to clean up some of the rules to just make it clearer. And then not only that, we were talking about, you know, I was like, yeah, I think the adrenaline card that lets you draw three cards and then play all your strikes and they can't be blocked. So you can essentially wipe everyone out. Maybe not have that card in a, in a 10 life match. If you're doing a quick match with only 10 life, you can take, I took two people out instantly using that card. So we were talking about like alternate rules, which aren't needed, but it's like, yeah, hey, if you did this, maybe not have this. Like even the dev had a couple ideas. He's like, yeah, if you, you know, when you go to play in this, this set or like, we were joking about putting two decks together since my friend and I both have a set. He's like, if you do that, I'd say take out one of those adrenaline cards set. We're just talking ideas. Like, what ways can we modify the game from its base? Which is great. And he already has expansions out for it and everything. So it's it was a fun time. Like, the dev was very open, very friendly and stuff like that. So it helps. So deck fighters. I'll drop the link. Seriously, seriously consider picking it up. Like, it's it, it's just fun. It's quick and easy to pick up and play. So no complaints there. Uh, what was the other one? Oh, yeah. The last one on the line of kind of card games, board games that I want to talk about was Zero Inbox. Conveniently made by Macho Zero Productions. So they like the word and number zero. Zero Inbox is a very simple game. You're on a board that goes around in a square. So kind of like Monopoly. And you start on one sec- like on one tile and you're going around the board back to that tile. Now, the goal is when you reach the starting tile, which is your refresh inbox tile, your goal is to have no emails in your hand. So it's a card game where the deck is full of action cards and various emails. And like any good office worker, you want to get through all your emails so you're done for the day, right? So the goal is to do exactly that. Get rid of all the emails in your hand by the time you reach the start to win. And if you still have emails in your hand... Just go around again. You know, it's not like you lose right then and there. You just got to make another lap around the board to get back to it. So you roll a die to move that number of spaces. And it's a pretty small board. It's six tiles long and slash wide. So if you roll a six, you automatically you get to the next corner, essentially. Now, to get rid of emails, the board is covered with various tiles. There is a reply tile, feedback, attachment, archive. That was the fourth one. Those are the four types of emails. So if you land on a tile that says archive, and in your hand you have an archive email, you just discard it. If you have two archives, you can only pick one to discard, all right? And you just keep going. That's what you do. There are certain tiles that say draw a card, so you're forced, like you get a new email, so you have to draw a card. But there's also a forward tile on the corners. If you land there, you give one of your emails to another player. So if someone only has two cards in their hands, you can just be like, oh, here you go. Have this email. I can't handle this for me, essentially. You're just passing off your work- workload to someone else. So if you ever worked in an office setting, it it's funny. Like, you get that that office feel of, like, ah, keep getting these emails, get through the emails. Oh, here, handle this for me, stuff like that. And all the action cards revolve around it, too. Like, there's one that says, out of office. If someone tries to play an action against you, you can just play the that action card and be like, I'm out of office, man. You can't bug me. Like, you can't forward me any emails. I'm not here. There's... Stuck in a meeting. You pick another player and they lose the next turn. They're stuck in a meeting. You have a one-on-one meeting with somebody. Either you move to that person's space or they move to you. So if someone's near the end of the game and has a small hand, they might win on their next turn. You can just pull them into a one-on-one meeting with you on the other side of the board and now they have to go around again. So it's it's fun little humor in the cards themselves, like the emails. 
the emails are funny. Like there's pet issues, IT problems. Some guy named Mike was being a pain in the ass. You know, you reading the emails, like they're all actually like detailed emails. It's funny. Like there's a lot of cheeky humor in it and I love it to death. I think it's amazing. Now to kind of help in getting rid of your cards on your turn, if you have like matching cards, you can get rid of them. So let's say you land on a space that's a reply space and you have a reply email in your hand and it's address. It's like the subject is IT issue number a one, two, five or something like that. Let's say you have that in your hand and also in your hand, you have a attachment email with the same subject line. So the subjects match. Even though you landed on a reply space, when you go to get rid of that reply email, since you have another email in your hand that matches a subject, you can play both of them. So you get rid of both of them at the same time. The drawback is this. In doing that, you must draw a card immediately. If it's an action card, you're fine because it doesn't matter how many action cards you have in your hand when you reach the end. It all matters about the emails, all right? So if you look out and get an action card, you're in good standing. If it's an email card, well, you got one less email. But the other thing is some email chains have like four chains. So let's say you played those two IT cards from your hand. And then your opponent around the table, oh, shit. And this actually happened during my game. Oh, shit, in my hand, I have the other two IT email cards that are just in the same IT issue. Since you just played those two cards there from the chain, I'm going to play my two on top of it. But I don't have to draw a card because I'm addressing the issue you sent out. So in doing chains, you could let your opponents potentially put cards down on top of it. However, and it's like the mind of the game, I love it. They might not do it. If you're only halfway across the board and you just got rid of your last email and your hand's empty, guess what? Everyone's going to throw shit at you. You got no work to do. We're going to keep, we're going to give you more emails. We're going to give you something to do. So you need to keep that balance of pretending to be busy. Like have two or three cards in your hands. Maybe they're just action cards, but at least something to show your opponents. Like, hey, actually, I got stuff in my hand, man. I'm, I'm already busy. That way you can get to the end and then suddenly, boom, turns out they're all action cards. Or you have like a forward action card, which says take one of your emails and give it to another opponent. And then, boom, oh, look, now I have no emails. Bam, hit the finish. I win. So that, that, that office mindset of like, Who's working the most? Who has the least amount of work? Who who are going to harass? Who's going to stay busy? It, it's it's a fun little time. It's a it's a fun little game. It can be quick. Uh, I won two matches in it on my first round around the board. I didn't have to do a second lap. But if the players are devious enough to each other and throwing work around, you could take two or three laps to go around the board. And if you keep rolling low, it'll take you a minute to get around. So yeah, zero inbox. I like it. It it's. It's really fun. It's really easy to pick up. I got I got really no complaints about it. So definitely check it out. All right. We're going to move away from the tabletops. We're going to move on to the big screen. Of various, a couple of various games I played. <clears throat> now, I already mentioned earlier, there are some games that I saw made a return. I'm not going to really say anything about them other than just the devs are doing great. Like, games that I see making a return... I see minor changes in them, like the devs took some feedback, made some modifications, the demo's longer, things like that. So there's definitely been some improvements for those games. I just don't want to address them right now because uh, I voluntarily chose not to play them. Like, look, I got some, I got time, but only a limited amount of time, and I'd rather play games that I haven't had a chance to play yet 
compared to games that I know very well or I'm already signed up to the beta branch so I can play it at home, stuff like that. So in terms of new blood, new stuff that I got to play around with, I'm going to start with this one. It's going to be a real quick explanation, uh, but it's it's just it's it's unique. So Galactitos, I think is how you pronounce it, Pastries in Space. I want to tell you the story of what made, play, made me play this game. I'm walking around the edge of the venue, and I see a big, you know, big TV set up, and it's a space shooter game. And I'm looking at it real quick, and I, I had to do a double take. I'm like, did I just see a hamburger spaceship? And the dev's like, do you want to play? I'm like, you know, see, now I have to. <laughs> so the game, it's like, if you ever played, like, Star Wars Battlefront 2, and you like the space maps where you're flying around your spaceship and doing battle, like, you know, the Empire versus the Federists or... Listen, man, I don't know Star Wars, but you're playing those space battles and you're in a spaceship and you're blowing up enemy spaceships and blowing up, like, capital ships or whatever. It's that. It's it's a space shooter game. Flying around space, you have missiles that can lock on. You have certain objectives, like, escort something or blow up a command ship or something like that. So it's it's your standard, you know, space shooter that's, like, open world style. You know, it's, like, top down. It's you're behind the spaceship. You'll be able to fly around 3D in space. So I like it. Like I like that aspect. I haven't played one of those games in a while, so I kind of sucked at playing this game. But I like it. You know, it. It feels right for the controls. The humor of it is what I said. Pastries in space. You're playing, at least in the demo, you were on the side of these, like, these sweets. Like you'd be flying around in an apple pie ship or a cupcake ship or something like that, and one of like your capital ships was a cake or a giant ice cream sundae, <laughs> you know, that that's like the various vehicles you're in and the opponents you're fighting. Like I said, I saw hamburger spaceships. There were these giant hot dog missile cruisers or a uh, Thanksgiving dinner was a capital ship. It was this giant, you know, roast turkey with, you know, garlic and mushrooms and everything all over it. It was like the turrets that you could destroy and things like that. And all the different character names are puns. Like there's the cherry bomb bomber or cherry bomb pilot or something like that. You know, there was uh, Captain Spar- Sprinkles. Sorry, Captain Sprinkles. And just, it's that, that little humor of just, yeah, it's all like pastries and fast foods. But the characters are like, yeah, this is normal. Like, my name is Captain Sprinkles. You will address me as so. Like, it's the seriousness of it that, you know, like, it's like military. They take their roles seriously. They take their names seriously and their titles and everything like a real military does. But it's just funny that it's, yes, I am Captain Sprinkles piloting a cupcake spaceship you got a problem with that yeah it, it it's just funny like the group zero eating games you know i gotta give it to them they 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 made a really fun idea like it it's just it's funny in a good way like i'm intrigued by pastries in space it i mean i'm not i'm not a huge space shooter fan i just like that concept of what they did so if you like sweets, I'd say check it out. Give give it a look. You might you might get hooked. You never know. All right, so we'll start there and we'll move forward. I also played this other game called Dogfight by Petricor Games. I apologize if I pronounced that wrong. I think it's Petricor Games. Now, uh, Dogfight, similar to Pastries in Space, it takes its name literally. So a dogfight is usually used in the military when you're saying there's two planes fighting each other 
in the sky. You're having a dogfight, a 1v1, one, one one, like biplanes, jets, or whatever. So in this game, you're doing that. It can be up to four players, and everyone's in their own plane, and you're trying to shoot each other down. Like, it's a dogfight with dogs. All the pilots are dogs, like different breeds of dogs. Each, each, each dog has their own stats, and you're playing as a dog flying around trying to shoot down other dogs. It's adorable. It, it's fucking adorable. Uh, one of the characters, pilot microchip ID, dog's name, Boomer, breed of dog, St. Bernard. Now, his name is Boomer. He's a big St. Bernard. And so the plane he flies in game is, you know, like a giant bomber, like out of World War II kind of thing. It's a big bomber. Now, with that, each dog has their own stats. So, like, Boomer has, you know, high health and high fuel, but his speed's low. So every plane you can boost in. You have a set amount of fuel to boost and the more fuel you have, the longer you can boost. So someone like Boomer, he might be a little slow and not very maneuverable, but he's a big, meaty boy. He takes a lot He takes a lot of damage. He can boost for longer than smaller ships because he has the room for it, which is pretty cool. And as it stands, there's only two to play. There was Boomer, and then there was this other, like, Lab Dog, who was more in, like, a smaller, kind of, like, faster biplane-style thing. And so each plane also gets two different types of weapons that you can switch between. That's all the game was sitting at now. I'm not sure if there'll be more to it in the future, like... Maybe they'll have it where you choose a loadout, where you pick your pilot, and then each pilot has access to, let's say, six guns. And so you pick two guns to have for your plane for that fight. I'm not sure. I think that'd be great. But at least when we were selecting our characters, I saw what looked like either 10 to 12 portraits. So when they got to pick between two dogs for the demo... Though it looks like the full cast of characters will be much more, like I said, 10 or 12, uh, if I remember correctly. So that's nice. There's some uniqueness like to the various characters. And maybe the stats will be altered a little bit more to allow some diversity. And then possibly they'll bring in more guns or options and stuff like that for your playing going forward. Again, when you play a demo, it's, it's a demo. It's doing what it's doing. It's showing you the concept, the idea of the game. So I played around a bit. Found it kind of funny, you know. Nice little cute game. Beyond that, it's kind of like when I was talking about Pastries in Space. If you ever played something like Blazing Angels, you know, a, a aerial combat kind of game, it has a very similar feel to it. It it goes right along the lines of that, and it controls just as well. Like the controls are inverted as if you're in a plane, so up makes you go down, down makes you go up. Took me a minute to get used to that. You can do barrel rolls. You can do one of those, like, you know, 180 turns where you kind of, like, dip and shoot up and turn in the air so you're facing the opposite direction. You know, to, like, help lose your person charging you or face them or whatever. So all the maneuvers are there. You can switch between the weapons. You can, like I said, you can boost. You can also have, they have, like, this lock-on mechanic where you slow your, it's like you're looking down the sights, you know, of a, of a gun. Where the plane slows down, but you kind of zoom in a little bit to improve your aim. So it's all there, like. All little nuances are there, and it's very bright and colorful. It's a, it's a fun little thing. It's a fun little game. I'm interested. Yeah, it's definitely not at the 100% top of my list. Like, I got this, these one or two other games, like, are top. But Dogfight, I'm intrigued by. Like, I have Blazing Angels on the Wii. It was a fun game. I loved playing it. I like aerial combat. I haven't played many games like that, so I want to keep my eye on Dogfight because... That could be the next big one for me in terms of aerial combat. So yeah, can't can't complain. Fun little thing. Moving down the list, uh, we're gonna talk the Totem. Okay, so Totem. 
I apologize. I don't know if I'll be able to send a link to this game merely because the devs, they didn't have like business cards or anything like that. They had stickers, which is, don't get me wrong. I fucking love stickers. My laptop that I used to record this, these stuff on is covered in stickers of various things. So I like stickers. So I'll see if I can find the company making this game. I will definitely share a link to them. So Totem is kind of going back to that old style. It's top-down. It's, it's currently linear, at least for the demo, but the dev I was talking to him, he said the game itself, he wants to have a little bit more Breath of the Wild style to it. Excuse me. Where there would be, like, four areas, for example, but you pick whichever you want to go to. So it's kind of like depending on where you go, you'll get certain items at certain times that will make other areas easier. So it's kind of like you pick your difficulty, like with Cadence of Hyrule. If you take the time on the overworld to find certain items, it'll make a dungeon easier. Or you can access a dungeon earlier because you get a certain item. You'll, things like that. It'll have that kind of feel is what he's going for in terms of the gameplay itself. So it is, it's like kind of top down where it's not like above the character's head. It's kind of like slanted, but you're look, looking down at them so you can see their face and everything. You are a nature creature kind of thing. Like you're humanoid, but you have kind of like deer antlers and blue hair and stuff like that. And the, uh, there's this fairy character that joins you who's kind of like the Navi of the game. Like it tells you various things, but not as annoying. She's actually a little more sassy. She doesn't know who the main character is uh, right away. So she just nicknames you antlers because you have big antlers. I think that's hilarious. I, I like it. It's very charming. So you're playing this antler. We'll call her. She's antlers. She finds this ax, this old mystical magic ax. which is how the fairy finds her because the fairy is tied to the ax and using that ax to fight back the blacksmith. Okay, it's your, kind of your standard story of, you know, nature's being taken over by industry and nature's fighting back, yet it's not super industrial. It's straight up just like there's this blacksmith who has this large group of, like, blacksmiths who are reaching out and currently trying to, like, collect the ore and stuff like that and take over the forest and build things. So the fact that it's not, like, a big empire should have just the main villain's called the blacksmith. I like it. I kind of like that change. And so the enemies are a little more unique. You know, they're these armored guys with bombs and hammers and stuff like that. And one of the mini bosses I fought was called the brute. It was just really big, hulky motherfucker with a giant ass hammer who just stomps around swinging the hammer at you. I liked it. So combat is straightforward and complex. The ax is your main way of attack. You can do a slash with it. You can throw it. And it boomerangs back to you, so it's connected to you, which is really cool. So you can throw it forward and over, it'll come back to you. Or if you hold down the uh, button to throw it, you do a power throw where you throw the axe and then it sticks into the ground. And then you can call it back to you when you want. And I'll get into a little bit why that's important later. You then have some stats. You have your health bar, obviously. You get hit, you lose a thing of health. You have a mana bar. So things like the power throw that you can do. And some other things, because as you progress with the game and beat bosses, you unlock new abilities. It all takes mana. Mana is easy to get back depending on where you are. They're like what they call mana trees. are these little flowers that if you hit them, they give you their blue glow and you soak it up and it turns into mana. So you find anything glowing blue, smack it, you get mana. Then the third one is these charges. I'm not sure what they're called, but you get up to three of them. And if you use them, they fully heal you. But they're not easy to get. Like, there's specific enemies you have to take down to get access to another charge of healing. So you want to be careful with when you heal. Like, 
should I heal even though I'm only missing three health because I'm about to fight a big enemy? Or do I wait? Because it takes time. Like, you have to crush it. You have to hold the key down for, like, a second or two to raise your arm and just go crush the thing and you get fully healed. So, yeah, I could crush it now, get full health for the boss. Or I still got four health left. Maybe I just stick it out, you know, and I, I might find a gap in the boss's attacks to then heal during the fight because I only have three charges at the time, so I got to be careful. Maybe I only have two charges. I got to be careful when I use them. So there's some resource management going on there. Now, in terms of throwing the axe, I mentioned how the axe can kind of stick into the ground. This goes into combat and puzzles. Like, you can power throw the axe through an enemy. You know, maybe you hit the enemy, the enemy loses their health and dies, or they're down to, like, one health, you know, because everyone has a health bar, and you have the axe stick in the ground. And then there's another enemy coming close to you who has more health. So actually, you know what I'm going to do? I planted the axe. I'm going to move myself. And as the enemies chase me, they'll line up in a line, and I'll call the axe back and smack both of them on the return because the axe does damage on the way forward and on the way back. So you can use that in combat with the power throw that as much as power throw doesn't do extra damage initially, you can set it up like a trap and line up the enemies properly to then hit more people on the return. So I like that. It's also good for puzzles. There was this one moment where I was a little stumped and then like the dev came over and talked to me. Uh, so I didn't get to figure it out on my own, which isn't bad. Like, you know, you want to get more people playing, so we're moving forward. So I'm not too upset about that. Uh, but the puzzle is really cool. There are these blue orbs you'll find around the world. And if you throw your axe into the blue orb, you will then teleport to the blue orb with your axe in hand. Now you come up on this one orb, and it's surrounded by these large pillars. So you can't throw your axe at it. So what the hell are you supposed to do? Well, if you run up a little bit, you won't be able to hit the orb, but you can throw your axe above like in the world, above and past the pillars and plant it into the ground. And since it'll take the most immediate back route back to you, you then move yourself. So like I said before with the enemies, you place the orb between the axe and the player and then call the axe back. And since the axe will then hit the blue orb, you'll teleport to it. So it's really cool that you throwing the axe and planting it not only can be used in combat, but it's also used for solving various puzzles. Like there's this one statue that's kind of like a turret that if you got close, it would shoot you with a beam. But the axe can disable it. So if you throw the axe and stick it into the statue, it disables it. Run past the statue when you're out of its range. Call the axe back. I like that. I really like that dynamic of playing with the axe. Uh, last thing I want to mention, because the axe is what you start with. It doesn't seem like much, but games like Fury excel at giving you minimal tools. The game, kind of like a Mega Man style, you beat a boss and get a reward. So the first boss you fight is this kind of like wolf spirit thing that's been like slightly corrupted because it has these dark orb attacks. So you fight in this arena and it has like various attacks where it, it calls down these laser beams that chase you or it fires dual lasers at you or it'll just rain down hell from above and it'll show you like the target points it's going to strike you have to dodge them, stuff like that. Eventually, when you beat the boss, you will knock a new ability. Now, I mentioned one of its moves is it has like these two twin lasers. It shoots out of itself and then like crosses across the field. You get access to that. You can shapeshift. So when you get this new ability, you hit this key and it says you enter the wolf stance, which is the stance of the boss. And so you change your stance, you plant your feet, and these two kind of like vines come out of your shoulders and above your head. And then wherever your cursor is, because it's like a twin stick thing, you point the cursor to aim things. Wherever your cursor is aiming, when you click the button, you fire these death lasers. They, they take up mana. So now as long as you have mana, you can just 
just shoot this beam everywhere as it follows your cursor. You can't move, though, so you got to be careful that you don't get surrounded by enemies because they'll be able to hit you while you're shooting lasers. But it's an awesome move, so it unlocks more potential combat. Like, if there's a cluster of enemies coming towards you, I'm just going to fire laser beams at them. Maybe there's some puzzles down the road that will require you using these laser beams, things like that. And there's resource management. Since it takes mana, like, throwing the axe takes mana, and now shooting your laser beams takes mana, well, what's... What are you going to do? Are you going to save your mana for later? Or what will be more beneficial, laser beams or axe throwing? So you have to kind of like start thinking about what's best for this situation. So I'm liking it so far. Like I like the concept. The first level was pretty fun. It did very well showing you the mechanics and showing you how to play the game as it should do. And the first boss, this wolf spirit, was fun. Like it was challenging enough that it needed your attention. You know, sometimes there's a boss that is just a little too easy that you can zone out for it or there's a boss that's so hard that like you're pulling your hair out trying to beat it this boss i felt there was a nice balance like i beat it on my first try while healing like i had to do i had to pop some heals i got hit a few times and near the end i was i like i won with only having like two or three health bars like bits left and you start with like six so yeah i needed to pay attention enough and then eventually i learned the patterns that i could dodge things pretty easily and then phase two started, the boss came down in front of me, and then it added in this new charging move that I also had to watch out for. So I liked it. I really liked that fight, and I'm curious to see what further fights they have down the road. What other abilities do we get? Like, do we eventually fight a smith boss, and we get, like, this big hammer attack we can use? Or maybe there'll be, like, this flying ability we get where we can then glide over paths? Like, I'm curious. Like, I'm, I'm really curious when you add in this shape-shifting thing where you absorb enemy power to unlock new abilities possibilities are endless so totem a fun little you know nature versus industry game with nice combat that develops over time as you unlock new abilities and challenging enough that it warrants your attention like you can't breeze past enemies you need to at least pay attention to what's going on around you i apologize some jackass just start up their motorcycle and they like to make it very loud so totem can't complain all right, the next game I'm going to talk about, there's not much to say because there is st- still a lot going on with it in terms of, like, what the devs are trying to create. But overall, a nice little experience I had. Crystalia. K-R-I-S-T-A-L-A. Crystalia. This is an adventure RPG, okay? I was talking to the dev a bit while I was playing the game, and I'll get into that in a little bit also. But the idea of the game is there are these five great clans, okay? It's one of those animal games where, like, everyone's an animal. It's like, there's cats, rats, and, like, other things. So these five great cat clans uh, eventually had to come out and do something because there was this, I think they said there was like, this crystal thing shattered. And now, of course, there's bad stuff going on everywhere. So the clans are, like, sending out warriors and other people to find out what the hell is going on and try and solve the issue. So the idea down the road is you will pick a starting clan and each clan has like some sort of like special thing to them. You know, everyone has access to a health bar, stamina bar, and a mana bar. But like one clan will be better at magic. So if you want to be a magic user, maybe you pick this clan. And maybe two clans are good at magic, but they specialize in different types of magic. Or you find you pick a clan that's like sword and shield. It's better at, you know, tanking combat and stuff like that. So each clan has its own specialty but you're not restricted fully. Like, the devs want to make, you know, you have different armor and different weapons and stuff like that you can use so you can tweak your character as it goes along 
but like your passives, you know, like when you pick a race in D and D, you get passive abilities. That's kind of like what your starting clan is. Those passes that you get at the start of the game that just say, Hey, you would be better at this if you focused on it. Or maybe like you do an arcane warrior, you know, you pick a clan that's good at spell casting and then eventually level up your stats and start using more melee stuff. So you have a mix of spell and sorcery. I'm I'm interested in that. Like I like action RPGs for that concept. And then the game itself, it's it's kind of like open world where you're able to just kind of run around the area. Eventually, they want to make it where you'll go and explore the other clans. Like if you pick, you know, the warrior clan to start with, you'll eventually go to all the other clans. So of course, the replayability is the way the clan treats you depends on where you come from. Like if you were raised in that clan, obviously everyone's going to be open and talkative to you. And if you go to another clan, they might be hesitant, cautious, they may be friendly, depending on where you come from. So the clans will react differently based on your starting point. So essentially, you need to play the game at least five times to get the full experience to see how each clan reacts to the player character. Because you can have one of five backgrounds. And then also, the combat. Again, it's open world stuff. So you wander around the world, and eventually you'll bump into enemies, and then you'll fight the enemies. So you can do, you know, a heavy attack, a light attack. In the demo, you had a shield, so you can use shield to block attacks. There is a dodge that they have. Uh, it wasn't, a cl- like, clean cut then. Like, when I was trying to do a dodge roll, I actually did dodge, which is great. I was able to dodge, but then I immediately snapped back to my starting point. But again, it's it's a demo build. Like, it's not perfect, you know. But everything's there. Like, I see all the bits there that they're looking to work with. So... You know, if you ever played anything like Dark Souls, you know, I, I hate to say it because I always hate using that as like the template, but it, it has like that's it has that action RPG feel. You dodge in combat, you can do various attacks, you can block, you have a stamina bar, yada yada yada. The whole nine yards, it's there, it's there, and it did it did well with the atmosphere. Like while I was playing the demo, uh, all the stuff I'm talking about with what the devs told me, they told me while I was playing the game because the demo had you in this swamp village. So you had like these giant weeping willow trees. There were swamp pits you could go into. All the enemies like these rats or rat skeletons. And there was a thick mist everywhere. And there were these poison clouds. I'm like, I bet if I walk into that cloud, it's going to hurt. And they're like, the dev's like, it's supposed to. We just don't have that yet. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to run through there real quick. You know, So all the parts were there. And I just had fun. Like Even though I wasn't finding any enemies in some locations, I just kept running around. I, I told her that. I looked at her. I'm like... You know, I know I pretty much reached the end of the demo, and at one point I actually did, like, the world didn't load past this one spot. You know, the the dev didn't, the guy, like, was doing the world building for the demo didn't bother to put the rest in there because it's just the demo. You don't need the whole thing there. So I'm like, okay, I reached the end of the world here. I'm going to go that way now. I'm like, I know I won't really find anything, but I want to go there anyway. Like, I wanted to keep exploring because combat needed me to focus, but it wasn't too challenging at the time where I could like, okay, I understand their patterns and now I just got to learn like, you know, what's my reach, you know, how, how far, how close I have to be to actually hit them. So I'm always, I'm looking around like, okay, if there's no enemies here, maybe I'll go look for an enemy or, oh, what's that over there in the mist? Or, oh, I don't think I've been on this path before. Let me see what's over here. At one point the dev's like, she's like, yeah, I think you hit everything over here. So you know what? I'm going to bring you back to the start and then there's a path you miss. I'm like, okay, go ahead. And she popped me back to start and I turned around like, oh, that path, let me go that way. I think I explored pretty much everything the demo had to offer, and I was like, I, yeah, this is, a, this is a good sign. To me, the sign of a good game is I won't stop playing it until I've done everything. You know, when I was a kid, if I got a new game, I would continue playing the game until I beat it before moving on to another game. So the game like Crystallia, 
even though it's a demo, I didn't stop until I hit everything and I saw everything, even though there really wasn't anything there because it's just the demo build to show you the concept. I wanted to do it anyway. So I I liked it. It was it was nice. It was enjoyable. I'm looking forward to it. Honestly, straight up, it's nice to see more games like, you know, The Surge and now The Surge 2 is coming out. It's great to see more action RPGs taking up the mantle so we have more things to compare this genre to that isn't Dark Souls. I'm, I'm happy. I think it's going to be a good game. Honestly, if they keep it up with what they're doing, Crystallia is going to be solid. So keep an eye on that one. Uh, the last two. The last two fall in the same branch of Crystallia. I wanted to keep going. I reached the end of the demo, and I'm like, where's the next part? Like, I, I want to keep going. I need more game right now, guys. Come on, help me out here. But the demo, they can't. So, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, I don't care. Outpost Delta. Okay, so first, Metroidvania. All right? If you ever played Super Metroid, you ever played Castlevania, you ever played Hollow Knight, you know what you're getting into. Okay? The level is a wide... It's like kind of like Metroid and Hollow Knight, but in chunks, where the level is one section of the game, and it's a large section. So, you're on this outpost in space... Typical thing, batch is happening, aliens, yada, 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 go deal with it, okay? Now, I love it because you can moonwalk in it. You have a gun that you're able to shoot, and it's omnidirectional, so you actually, it's twin stick again where one stick you're moving and one stick you're aiming, and you can aim, like, at just about any angle. You can aim above you, you can aim at a high angle, low angle, stuff like that, but if you don't change direction, like, let's say you're facing the right, like your gun's aiming right, if you don't tell your guy to aim left and you start moving left, you'll be walking backwards. So you can legit like run backwards and shoot. So it's really cool for combat because it allows you to do that run and gun to like get get the hell out of dodge while still doing some damage. But when you're not in combat, it's just funny to be able to just run backwards through the world. So I like that. It's it's made that way for combat, and it's just a fun little thing when you're out of combat to have. Now from there, the whole Metroidvania thing, in the first level. You're running around, and there's these various doors of different colors. You start with no key cards. So you can only open up doors that are green. They're just they're unlocked. And over time, you find then a red key card. Okay, now if a door is red, you can open it. From there, you find a pink key card. Okay, the pink door, you can open it. Okay, here's the purple key card. The purple door, you can open it. Here's the gold key card. You know, but like, you keep finding more and more key cards that open up more and more doors. And as you're exploring this first level, you then find more weapons. You start with this basic, it, it's like a pistol, but it looks a little bigger on the character, so it could just be like a heavy pistol kind of thing, or like a small rifle. It has unlimited ammo, and it does like, you know, decent damage, so you start with that. You then eventually find this laser cutter kind of thing, where there are certain walls that are cracked, and if you hit it with that laser, you can break the wall down, so you can eventually like find secrets and shortcuts and stuff like that. But also, there are these flying enemies in the game, which in the first level, they're really obnoxious because they're very small. You don't see them until they're already pissed off, and since they fly around, they're really hard to hit. If you hit them with that laser, they immediately fall to the ground. And they still like roll around on the ground, but it's easier to target them on the ground than when they're flying around. So you get that weapon. And then eventually, later in the level, you then find like a heavy rifle. It has limited ammo, but it has a laser sight, which really helps for aiming, and it does more damage. So you start to find more guns to collect, add to your arsenal that you can rotate through. They also have a save mechanic straight out of Metroid. You'll eventually come to a pod that if you stand in it, it saves your game. But unlike Hollow Knight and unlike Metroid and stuff like that, 
that's all it does. It doesn't update your map. Like you already have a mini map available, but it's not a large map. So it only shows you the area around you. So you don't get any map update and you don't fully heal. It simply saves your progress that if you die, you return to that little pod. All right. So finding those is really important just in case so that we don't die and have to like trek through a large part of the level. So how do you heal is you find health kits, like some enemies drop them or you'll break up in crates and find them, you know, simple stuff like that. Same thing with the heavy rifle. You can find ammo for it. Like it might drop on the ground so you can pick it up and reload your rifle. All right. Now the really unique mechanic to it is Metroidvania where, yeah, you collect like more guns or there was this ability got where you can now double jump and there are magnet boots. You can turn on the magnet boots and then if there's a magnetic ceiling, you just flip up and stick to it and you can run across it. All right. So you find more tools to your arsenal, but also you have control of gravity. The tutorial shows you how to do this. And then, of course, after the tutorial is done, something bad goes wrong and, you know, you lost control of gravity. So gravity stays normal. You can no longer dick with it. But you can turn gravity on like high, normal, so you jump normally. You can turn it on low, so you jump much higher than usual. You can also turn gravity completely off. And then if you turn the gravity off, you have a jetpack and then you can start flying around. So in future levels, when you repair the gravity control, you can use it to like battle certain enemies, control the environment, solve puzzles, stuff like that. So I really like that where the game's exploration isn't solely where you can go. It's also what can you do to the gravity? You know, do you want to go up there? We'll turn the gravity off, head on up there. Like you're less restricted by gaps and everything because of gravity control. And you're more restricted like to various things, like finding certain key cards and other little things. So even though they only had the first level shown there, I really enjoyed it. And like, Again, it, it was a sign of a good game because when I finished the tutorial and I was running on the first level, I'm like, I looked at the woman who was showcasing it, and I'm like, I'm not going until I beat this. You know, obviously, if there's a line, I will step back and let others play, but I refuse to leave today without being the first level because I was really interested in it. I like Metroidvania games. Like, Hollow Knight was fun, and essentially, I want the next Hollow Knight. I want the next Metroidvania game that will captivate me and make me keep playing, and Outpost Delta could very well be that. It takes a bit to get used to the controls with aiming because it can be a little hard trying to run and gun at the same time. But again, in in time, you know, that's with any game. In time, if you will figure out the controls. And there were three types of enemies in the first level. Those flying little disc things are a pain in the ass. These little gooey guys that would, like, shoot arc projectiles at you, but they weren't that strong. They were pretty easy to take down. But then there was also like these alien gunmen, so these guys that also had rifles that would shoot back at you. So you had to, you can crouch in the game, so you know duck under the sh- duck under their bullets and shoot at them, and then jump over the next bullet as they're aiming at you. So combat like that was pretty cool. And at one point in the level, you're running across this large open room, and you get to the next door, and the elevator is coming down because there's a bunch of elevators in this space station because that's the easiest way to get between floors. So you run up to the door and you see the elevator coming down. There's like there's three gunmen on it, like. Nope, and you start to back up. It's like either you're ready a grenade to throw in there as the door opens, or you jump back and try and like shoot at them one by one as they come out of the elevator. I like that. It was it was actually really cool because it felt like the space station, yeah, was being invaded by something, and now you're trying to plant like they're coming to get you. Like the enemy's retaliating now with you exploring the space station. So how are you gonna react? You got you see the elevator coming down, you got two seconds. What are you gonna do? When that door opens, what's your plan? Do you just run away? 
for now, catch your breath and then come back and aggro them? Do you go guns blazing? Like, I liked it. Like, there was the various ways to handle combat that wasn't just straightforward. And most of the time, the enemies outnumbered me, so I did that. I would pull back and, like, you know, try and pop them off at range, especially, like, the goo monsters because there were these spawners that would spawn multiple goop monsters. And as much as they're not that powerful, if they get close enough, that arc attack can hit you. And with enough of them, it can get really busy on the screen. So I would stand back, like, either throw a grenade or stand far enough back that I'm out of their range and just start popping them off one by one as I get closer and closer to the spawner to destroy it. So I really liked it. I was really hooked on it. I had a blast playing it. I'm, I'm, I'm eager. I can't wait to see the full release. I'm not sure when it is. Uh, I did not ask, and they didn't have any information on it. But yeah, it's it's a game to follow. I'll have it you know down below, the little thingy there for you to check out. All right, the last game on our list. I am finally looking at the last card I got. This is a game I didn't need to see anything to play it, okay? I simply walked up to it. And I saw an image or two, and I looked at the dev, and I was like, so what is this? And he simply said, well, it's a cyberpunk stealth action RPG. I'm like, I'm sold. I love anything cyberpunk. Like, I, even if it's bad, I will try it. If, it has, if it's cyberpunk-based, I will try it. So it's cyberpunk. It's an RPG. Stealth action, as in I can play stealth or action. Oh, sign me up, fam. So disjunction is the name of the game, Disjunction, by Ape Tribe Games. Oh, boy. It was fun. It was, the first level was really fun. So, in terms of the game itself, in the end, you'll have a choice of three different characters to play. Like, each level, either you pick one of three characters, or it's one of those anthology things where each level is tied to a certain character, and you hop between them as they do their own thing, and the world changes around them. I didn't, I didn't ask clarifying questions on that, so I'm not sure yet. But you have these three different characters in the cyberpunk world, and you know they have various jobs, which gets them involved in the main action. In the demo, you played this guy who was a private eye. Okay, So, simple guy, simple life, and he's just right now taking jobs you know, to make money. So the demo has it where you get contacted by an old friend, excuse me, or associate, something like that, that says, hey, there's this big guy in town that you as the main character actually have a beef with, and there's some sensitive data he has on a data pad. We need it. All right, can you go get it? So you go and get it. Now, in terms of the beef, the reason why I know they had beef is, first off, the character mentions it. But also what they do, they do this very clever thing with lore. Whenever there's, like, dialogue or any words on the screen... If there's something important about it, like the main baddie's name, it'll be in orange. And if you float over it, the orange text, a pop-up box will appear that gives you a quick snippet of the character. So, like, the main baddie, I knew about him because in the description I mentioned, like, it's this high-end Russian gangster who's in charge of this big section of the mob. And there's a long a while ago, he threw acid in the private eye's face that blinded the private eyes so he got these cybernetic eyes now like it gives you a little bit of lore so you get an idea of what's going on or this equipment or the data you're looking at or whatever so you have it on spot if you want to look at it if you don't care you just don't hover over the orange text and let's say you forget about it like what it said 
Well, then you just open up the menu, and the menu will have a list of all the orange text and what it's about. So it's always there on hand, just given to you. You know, obviously, it doesn't say everything about the character right away about this guy you're going after, but you just get an idea of who he is. So it gives you enough to get you an understanding, and then as the game progresses and you start to put the pieces together throughout the story, you get to learn more about characters and objects and the environment and things like that, all right? So from there, stealth action, okay? The first level, you're going in to get this data pad. Now, your friend asks you nicely, no bodies. You know, get in, get out quietly, don't kill anyone, okay? So you go in and you can do exactly that. You can stealth around. It's, again, it's kind of like top-down and twin-stick where, I mean, I played on mouse and keyboard, but it could easily be twin-stick where WASD moved the character around, and then wherever the mouse was, that's where your reticle was for aiming. Just like Totem. Totem did the same thing. You moved WASD, and there was a cursor for you targeting with your abilities and your attacks. Use the mouse. So just Junction does the same thing. Now, you can hold the shift key. When you're holding the shift key, you kind of crouch walk. Now, the importance of that is, one, you go a little bit slower, but your footsteps are silent, so you don't make noise, so you can get past guards. Also, when you're doing that, it shows the guard's field of view, so you know kind of what they'll see, like what's the range of their sight, so you can stay out of it so they don't spot you. Now, if you get caught in their line of sight, there's a little meter that starts to fill up, and it's very quick. It's like a second, second and a half. So you don't get spotted right away, but it can be quick. So you got to be ready to react if you want to stay stealthy. <clears throat> so you can go around the guards, and then you have some options. The game in the first level kind of slowly introduces you to various things. So you get a baton. You know, you used to work on the forest. You have a baton on hand. So you can sneak behind somebody, and it does non-lethal damage. So if you conk someone in the back of that with a sneak attack, obviously it does extra damage. But it's also non-lethal, so you can knock, you can take out guards by hitting them, but it doesn't kill them. Like, you hit them with a melee baton. Not going for the kill. So you can take guards out that way. Now, with that, let's say you take a guard out, and there's another guard patrolling. If he spots the unconscious body, it'll obviously, he'll be alerted. And then instantly he's like, okay, something's up, and he's starting to look around more. So if you take a guard out, it's a smart idea to grab their body and drag them. Like, you can do that. You can take bodies and move them. So they'll be out of view of patrolling guards. So for stealth, you can go one by one, thwack a guard, pull them away, thwack another guard, pull them away, one by one by one. On the flip side, there's the action part. If you so choose, the private eye has a revolver. And maybe just say, fuck it, and you go guns blazing. Or maybe you botch a stealth job, and instead of trying to run away from the guards and get out of their field of view and hide again... You know, you knock the one guy out, the other guy spots you, like, no, fuck it, pull your gun and shoot him and kill him. So you do have that option between stealth and action. What I like is the action is is intense. Like, one gunshot takes the baddie out. Like, I think in the first level, if memory serves right, in the first level, every single thug took only one shot to kill. You know, they took, some of them took, like, two or three melee swings with the baton, but in terms of the gun, it just dropped him instantly. And in terms of the player... In two shots, I had, like, no health left. You know, you, it is intense. Like, the gun has damage. The gun has a kick to it. Like, if you get shot, it is serious. So if you want to go in guns blazing with action, you can make sure you get the jump on the enemy and ensure that you can take them down before they get to you. Like, 
there was one thug that had a shotgun and I was watching one guy play. He had full health and the shotgun thug came up behind him before he could react. Done. One blast and the, the player just dropped and was dead and had to respawn. So I like that. I like the idea that if you choose to go in guns blazing, yes, it could be quicker and possibly less stressful because you're not trying to like solve the puzzle of when do I knock the guard out? When's that patrol coming? How do I stay out of sight? It's not just like, I got to shoot first. I like that choice and I like how the action makes you make that decision. The action is saying, hey, if you're going in guns blazing, be ready because it's going to hurt and it's going to be fast. Like any combat I got into took me a second or two to clean up two or three guys. Quick, easy. Now, the RPG aspect. Every character has a set of abilities. So the private eye has a mix of abilities that helped him more with stealth, but could also be used in melee if he so choose. He essentially had a taser where he would shoot this ranged projectile and would stun an enemy for like five seconds. So if you're trying to do stealth, you could stun an enemy, like you can stun a, stun a guy that's on patrol or who's looking in your direction, pop out, stun him, walk up, knock him out. Or if you're in combat and there's two guys coming up, turn around, stun the one guy, and then shoot the other guy, and then have a chance to go back and reload your gun, because you have to reload, so it can buy you time. You also have a smoke grenade. The private has access to a smoke grenade. It was a little clunky to try and figure out. Like, everyone I watched play it, including me, uh, the first time we used it, when the game said, hey, here's your smoke grenade. Here's how you use it. Use it to get past these guards. We missed the aim, because it kind of would, like, bounce past where we were aiming, and then you had to hit the key again to detonate it. Uh, which that was the only thing I had trouble with in the entire demo was just like figuring out the smoke grenade. So that's like, that's really it. But when you drop the smoke grenade, it's a smoke grenade. When it goes off, any enemies that are caught in it obviously are like, wait, well, like they get confused and they start like wandering around the smoke cloud, but their field of vision is cut off. Like they can't see anything anymore. So you can use it to either isolate a guard and conk them out easily. Or actually what happened to my friend, there were these three guards. His plan was I was watching him. He threw the smoke grenade, and he was, I'm guessing he was trying to detonate it next to the closest guard to, like, cut off his field of view so he could go and conk the guy, but that didn't work out. So the smoke, the grenade missed, but he didn't detonate right away. He just ran up and took the guy out real quick, and there was a patrolling guard that was like, wait, something happening? He's, the patrolling guard's just run over, and then my buddy detonated it to, to cancel his field of view because even if the enemy is not within the smoke grenade, they can't see through the smoke. So my friend detonated the smoke grenade so it would block the approaching guard's view so that way he could take the body, pull it away, and hide again before the big thug came up to him. So you have some options with the smoke grenade in terms of stealth and action of, like, cutting off an enemy that's coming up. Like, if you're shooting these two thugs and there's a third thug about to come around the corner, drop the smoke grenade so he gets confused. He has no idea where he's going now. Bada-bing, bada-boom. You temporarily removed a threat. Awesome. And the last ability the private eye had was a first aid kit. It healed a lot of health. It healed about a quarter of your health. However, it took two seconds to do, and you were immobilized. So going back to like the intense action, if you get shot, you're not healing in combat. You either got to use that smoke grenade properly or the stun the uh, the taser properly to buy yourself enough time to use the first aid kit, or you got to finish up that combat before you can heal because it's going to take you two seconds of not moving to pull it off. So those, you have these abilities. You're given these abilities right away. The RPG aspect of it is, one, 
dialogue trees. So like you can say certain certain things to characters, which I'm assuming in the long run, it will cause different reactions from people or you unlock new information. For the demo, obviously, it was just linear. Like you could say various things, but it didn't change the outcome. And then with that, you also can upgrade your abilities. So you, over time, you can pick various upgrades to your abilities. Like the smoke grenade can become a bigger radius or it can turn into a poison cloud. Or the dev mentioned the first aid kit. You actually be able to move while using it. So you can first aid and run away. Or the taser, which is pretty cool, would actually stop time. And then you can aim it and take your time to figure out who do I want to zap right now instead of making it just instantaneous, you know, while the action's happening. So you have all these, like, various options of play style. Like, you could make your abilities help you more in action or help them more in stealth, depending on how you want to tackle the problems. And then also with that... Another RPG thing is how people react. So during the demo, I ended up killing a few guys. And my buddy, when he played, he just, it was a fucking slaughterhouse. Like, I was watching him. He killed pretty much every single guard. So in the end, when we got the data pad and went back and, you know, met with the woman who wanted it, her first thing was like, what the fuck were you doing? It was a bloodbath, and then you killed all these people. I told you to go in quietly. So people react differently to you. Like, some endings can change, based on that like how did you handle these missions did you fulfill the requests to the fullest that you could you know some people like yeah use stealth in and out no casualties and other people be like fuck if i care you know maybe he wants you to kill people or maybe he just doesn't care you do what you want to do so i like that aspect of like it's not making or breaking the game like if you piss this woman off enough she just leaves forever and she hates you but it's just nice to see that the characters react to you in some way like bruh i didn't tell you to do that or yeah that was a good job it's it's cool to just see that yeah people know what happens like the world is alive you complete a mission and if it was a bloodbath people are going to hear about it and so they react accordingly so cheers to that cheers to the dev for making that a thing in their game that was i like to see that and also i mean it's cyberpunk and cyberpunk's just an amazing genre personally So that is it. That is that is my recap. That is a selection of games that I felt were very noteworthy to talk about and I enjoyed to some degree. There was one or two games that I kind of looked at, but I, I backed up. Like there's this clicker game I saw. I'm like, it's a clicker game. Come on, man. No. There's this other game that was a music theme based game, but it was on smartphones. And I don't have a smartphone, so I backed up from that one also. So yeah, there's my recap of Play NYC. 2019 at the Metropolitan Pavilion. I had a blast. It was amazing. I met a lot of good people there. I had a lot of fun talking to the devs. They have a lot of great ideas and just seeing this array of games. Like I said, PC, Switch, Xbox, like no platform is safe. These these games are coming out strong, these video games, and these card games are just getting more and more unique, taking up like ideas and reinventing them and being innovative or just corny like i said the mma fighting and zero inbox you're taking like just real life feeling about something and just making it into a fun game that you can have a good laugh with your friends so it's it's a good year 2019 is is a solid year uh in terms of like game design you know even with all the political news and bullshit going on of like video games calls violence this is a good year for us We're seeing some great communities, some great devs coming out with some great ideas. So again, when the episode goes live, 
and you can look at the description. I will do my best to dig up links to websites or Twitters or something, you know, that you can look at these games yourself instead of just having me ramble. So again, I apologize for my voice. I did what I could. I, I'm going to post the episode no matter what. And if it's some raspiness, I will re-upload it later, but kind of like cleaner, I guess. But probably not. I think I think we're going to do fine. Now we're back onto a normal schedule. So the next episode will be next Sunday, which is the 18th. So Sunday the 18th, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Back onto a normal schedule. All right. Because all the events are done with. That's it for the summer, at least for me, for conventions and stuff like that. So I hope you enjoyed this two-day recap. I know there was a break on Sunday. I apologize, but hey, I saw an old friend. I wanted to hang out, and I was rather tired also after everything. So cheers to that. Cheers to Playcrafting and the Play NYC team. You guys did a phenomenal job, and I'm excited for all other future events that you'll be hosting around New York City. If you haven't come to one of these events yet by Playcrafting, please, 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 please come by and check them out. They are amazing. You'll have a great time, and there are so many great developers that you get to meet. And a lot of them come, like I said, like some of these guys I've seen before. So they, they know what they're doing. They come to these conventions all the time, so you really get to know them and really get to see the game grow and flourish and become something amazing. So this is Smart Boy signing off for now and again thank you so much for listening take care